Welcome to the Edge Conservation Podcast, where we bring you the latest in innovation, insight, and effort on the front lines of wildlife conservation in Africa and around the world. I'm your host, Kira Dorian. Today, we are in Seattle, my hometown, with Daniel Beltra, an award-winning conservation photographer. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to get to talk with you. Hi, Kira. It's really a pleasure to be with you guys. So why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up as a conservation photographer, because I noticed that you've studied forestry, engineering, and biology. So how did that turn into photography? Well, it's a bit of a long story. This uh, funny accent is from Madrid, uh, Spain, where I'm from. And uh, very early on as a kid, I had a, a strong love for nature, always very interested in animals, in wildlife, in being outdoors, despite being living in a, in a big city. So I joined the Boy Scouts and I was bird watching and I was doing all these things. And at the same time, I loved photography. But of course, making a career in photography, it's extremely difficult. So I decided to go to the university and, and study something that will make sense. Fortunately for me, uh, photography started to, to become a, a, a career almost involuntarily. I, I became a photojournalist and I was working for the Spanish National Agency. And, uh, and the university, unfortunately for my parents, uh, path uh, didn't, didn't end. <laughs> and I just started to, to work on all, on all kinds of issues, no? Uh, and as a photojournalist, I had the idea one day to to propose a Greenpeace, the environmental group, to do a story on them. And that's really what created a, a relation with uh, Greenpeace. And I ended quitting my job as a full photojournalist. And I started to be a freelancer and doing lots of uh, uh, stories with uh, Greenpeace. And that really put my two passions in one. No, it was the use of photography to basically uh, convey the importance of the natural world and its protection. No? Yeah. So that was a bit of a dream, and it, it worked very well. Wow. So tell us about your time at Greenpeace. What kind of projects were you working on for them, and did you have any favorites? I've, I've worked uh, over the last three decades uh, all over the world for them, but uh, let me tell you a little anecdote how I started. So I was saying I was a staff photographer in EFE, and I told my boss, uh, Greenpeace had a, a, a marine mammal survey in the Mediterranean. And I told my boss, they invited me uh, to go to the ship. It's two weeks. And finally, he, he said, you're not going to go on holidays with the hippies. <laughs> and when he said that, I, I, I said, well, how about if I take my holidays? And he said, well, if you take your holidays, of course you can go. So I said, let's make a deal. I'll take my holidays. If the photos are good and you can use the story, I'll get my holidays back. And that's what we did. And he gave me my holidays back. And that started a big relation with me. So I've, I've had the chance to travel with them all over the world and, uh, and uh, always on, on different impact. You know, from, I don't know, from fisheries to deforestation that I've done a lot to uh, global warming, climate change all over the planet. Uh, many different issues. Wow. And so you are famous for your aerial photography. Um, and I'm curious what it is about aerial photography that you feel tells the best story? Like, how does that change in perspective, change the impact of the message that you're trying to send? Aerial photo I, I, I never intended to be an aerial photographer, finally, but I got the chance to, to get on a helicopter and start looking at uh, some of the problems we're creating from the air. And I thought, wow, this looks much more uh, compelling, interesting, and sometimes it's much more raw. No? So it, it helps explain the problem way better. 
And so that really became a, a strong interest for me. And I think it's a bit that it's detaching yourself from the from the ground and seeing the scale of the problems that aerial photography brings to the table. And then later in my career, it's and we can talk about that later. It's much more of, of the abstract and a certain beauty that you can showcase from the air. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, because one of the things you're best known for is your series of photographs called Spill, which captured the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in 2010. Those photos, they are, they're heartbreaking and stunning at the same time, which is such an interesting juxtaposition. So what was it like to capture that? What's it like to engage with something that's so awful and the scale is so massive, but you've still got this photographer's eye to aesthetic, you've got to engage your audience, like, just talk a little bit about that, please. It, it definitely was a very challenging project. You know, this is the Gulf of Mexico oil spill from British Petroleum in 2010. And uh, when I got a, I went on, on assignment for Greenpeace again to the Gulf. Uh, supposedly it was going to be a very short assignment. But when I arrived there, there was no oil to be seen anywhere. This was at the beginning. So uh, I ended flying and, of course, finding the oil 60, 70 miles from the coast and documenting the, the oil there, and little by little along the weeks, uh, the oil was uh, reaching land. No? But uh, I wasn't trying to show the beauty of an oil spill, definitely. Uh, sometimes I joke saying I've seen so many natural or man-made, I should say, disasters, you know, so many problems with the natural world that I suffer some PTSD, you know, sometimes I think there's a lot of horror out there. And uh, maybe as a, as a protection for myself, when I edit the projects, I am more uh, drawn to images that are beautiful, more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, I've also discovered, having been a photojournalist for many years, that uh, stories that are told uh, in a rough and direct uh, uh, way have a way shorter shelf life normally. You know? uh, if I engage uh, uh, people uh, with images that are maybe more beautiful or aesthetically pleasing, uh, I've also seen that this brings an attention to the project that that it's ongoing and right now 10 years later i'm still having exhibitions or almost 10 years later i'm still having exhibitions of, of, about the oil spill and uh, in particular this project brought me also to the art world which has been a great uh, venue for me and uh, Catherine edelman which is my main gallery in chicago she saw the project and called me and said i want to do a big show with your work and that's how i started there so it, it's definitely bringing something to have a larger uh, audience engaged, which doesn't mean that I'm not still very interested in having my images in newspapers and magazines and online and everywhere. No? So what do you think? What is that about? Why do we why do we engage better with horror that's beautiful versus something that's as you described it, sort of hard around the edges. What do you think that is? I think it's almost a, a protection, you know. I, I On my first show uh, with the oil spill, I had a, a funny uh, anecdote. There was a gentleman, uh, galleries normally never tell you who buys uh, your work, no, but uh, a gentleman, which I learned later, was the CEO of a, of a medium-sized uh, oil company, uh, uh, walked into the gallery and bought three very large prints, and the gallery owner was very surprised uh, you know, by, by that connection. And he said, what do you want to buy this? And he said, because I want to uh, decorate my office, because I want to remind myself and my team what happens if we mess up. Wow. And I thought, wow. well, that was, a, that was a beautiful story. Yeah. But uh, the fact that the images were not that hard, that they could almost decorate his office and still be a reminder of what's happening. No? So 
I think we get tired of, unfortunately, of seeing, uh, 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 you know, very hard images. Yeah, I love that story, though. That's that's such a that's such a beautiful story and really captures exactly what you're saying, that if we can make it accessible, it can continue to help, right? It can have this knock-on effect that goes on and on. That's fantastic. Yeah, there's a very thin line there also, because I've had sometimes people saying, I love this print, but I don't want to talk uh, with my friends or my family about an oil spill. And my approach there is, well, don't buy it, because my full intention is to tell the story that's happening. No, I definitely don't want to be used as just decoration. Right, <laughs> but, uh, right. So you won a very special award for Spill. Tell us about that. Well, I was extremely lucky to win the Wildlife Photographer of the Year, which for a nature photographer, a landscape photographer, is the biggest award in the world. It's given by the, uh, by the Natural History Museum in London. And I think this was the first time they chose an image that really depicted a, uh, an environmental catastrophe like, like this one. And it's a photo of a group of uh, pelicans that are covered in oil. They're in a facility in Louisiana where they're going to get cleaned. So they're in the first uh, stage of cleaning where they get sprayed with a lighter oil. And so the, the thicker crude oil is dripping on the ground in a sheet that used to be white. And it's a very poignant, very strong image. No? So I was delighted to that suddenly a, a, a wildlife uh, and nature contest like this uh, chose such a strong image. That also was uh, the culprit was a British company. No? So uh, the whole thing was a huge platform to tell the story to the world. And when you win that award, of course, uh, it's seen everywhere for the year no so that was that was incredible yeah and then you were given a grant by prince charles to photograph rainforests around the world what was that like and what did you learn from seeing all these different rainforests in all these different places oh that that was a, another incredible adventure I, that was in 2009 i was in uh, in seattle and i got a call on a friday saying daniel you won the princess uh, rainforest project and we'll call you on Monday because there's a full year of traveling ahead for you. And I was like, oh, my God. And on Monday, nobody called. And on Tuesday, I got a call saying, Daniel, you get on a plane at 8 in the morning tomorrow, and you'll have a private audience with Prince Charles in Palace. Oh, so wow. I, <laughs> No pressure. I had an afternoon to go buy a suit because I didn't even have a suit at that time. I had, I had to prepare a full portfolio. They wanted printed images because we were going to have a meeting and they wanted to, to show him a portfolio of printed images. And so I did all that. I arrived in London, went straight to the hotel to dress up and to Palace. And we had like a 15, 20-minute uh, one-on-one uh, meeting. That was incredible because uh, I didn't know he was so well informed and he knew so much about all these issues. So with the photos on the table, he could recognize what was uh, palm oil in, uh, in Asia, uh, palm oil plantation or, or deforestation in, uh, in the Amazon, for example. No, he knew a lot. And, and that project was basically made to showcase the link between tropical deforestation and, and global warming and climate change. And so the destruction of the forest that was really uh, warming the planet. And one of the things we were doing was working around the palm oil a lot also. And we can talk about palm oil later, but it, the project took me to to Africa in DRC, to Indonesia, to Brazil. And we had exhibitions in, in London, in Berlin, in New York, in Paris. We did a, a book a 500-copy book that Prince Charles gave to, to the world leaders for the Copenhagen Climate Change Summit. And there was his personal presence. So I, my book ended in all the world leaders' hands, which was incredible. And they also did a small book 
where they printed uh, one million copies that they gave for free all along the Commonwealth. And uh, I made sure it was all printed in, uh, in uh, recycled and certified paper, no? <laughs> because lots, lots and lots of books. But it, yeah, the impact was phenomenal for that project. Wow. And so w- what did you learn from seeing them all? Because they're all over the world. They're all in different places, but they must have had some common themes about what's happening for them. Well, what's happening, unfortunately, like there's too many of us in, in this planet trying all to live a, a, a lifestyle that's not really very sustainable. No. So my main shock for this was probably the palm oil industry. And, uh, uh, you know, we discovered with that project that uh, out of the 100 products that were the most sold in supermarkets in the UK, out of them, over 60 uh, contained palm oil. No? And the palm oil production around the planet is insane. Palm oil has a, a very high uh, yield per, per acre. Uh, in production, it's a low-cost production. And for example, I was reading some statistics the other day. Between uh, 1995 and 2015, uh, the world produced 15 million tons. And in 95 and in 15, it was 62 million. So it quadrupled in those 20 years. And now we're expecting that by 2050, it will quadruple again to 240 million tons. Palm oil is 10% of the global crops. Per person on the year, we use eight kilos of palm oil per person. So it's really absolutely everywhere. It's destroying huge amounts of forest. And of course, that's lots of carbon emission. There's fire to clean the the forest. There's all the wildlife that gets affected. And it has an impact, of course, of those fires on the health. No, So it's definitely a, a consumption problem that we have. So you have said in an interview that your most heartbreaking project was when you photographed the drought in Brazil. Tell me about that, and what was it that made that the most heartbreaking out of all these things that you've seen? Well, first of all, it was a very, a very challenging project because when they tell you you're going to photograph a drought in Brazil and you think that Brazil has 20% of the Amazon in particular has 20% of the fresh water of the planet, I was thinking, well, what's a drought in uh, in so much water? No, so I thought I was not going to be able to see much. But unfortunately, once uh, uh, once I was there, the scale of it was insane. So when river starts to really recede and you get uh, animals uh, dying of thirst and millions and millions of fish dying because the water levels recede and there's not enough oxygen in the in the water and the rivers in general in the Amazon are the source of food, but also the source of transportation for the population. So it created a huge mess. A huge mess that lasted some months, and then later there's the big floodings, and and it's it's a bit the the controversy that happens a lot when we talk about climate change is is the difference between the big climate and the particular weather, no? And uh, and uh, you know we, we end with people in the Congress showing a snowball, saying uh, you know who's talking about uh, climate change, and uh, and it's a very important uh, difference to make, no? So in particular. Uh, uh, this big project in in the Amazon. This was in 2005, if I remember well. It was also my first big award. I won a World Press Photo. So that again brought a lot of attention to the subjects and the work. And I ended, for example, Al Gore ended using my photos in his presentations on his in, an inconvenient truth uh, work. And so it definitely it had a big reach. Wow. 
So when, as you travel around the world, can you look at wildlife everywhere you go as an indicator of the health in that area? Are you sort of, have you seen enough now that you can spot that pretty quickly? Well, that definitely, you know, and, and the more specialized the species, the more they are affected by, by our impact, you No, know, and there's a direct and an indirect impact uh, uh, now, in the Amazon, for example, we're replacing a, a huge biodiversity with normally very few species. You know, we, Brazil has the largest uh, cattle uh, herd in the world, no? over 200 million heads. So we're replacing the Amazon rainforest and all its biodiversity with uh, cows and crops. And, uh, and when, in, when the, the impact on wildlife is not that uh, uh, indirect like that, it's more direct, like the, the bushmeat trade, for example, in, in Africa, not so definitely. And, and as I was saying, the more specialized the species, the faster it suffers. You know? uh, a crow or a sparrow or a fox will have a way better uh, uh, ability to adapt than a snow leopard, for example. You know? so. so you mentioned that you feel like you have PTSD from everything that you've seen, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm just curious, what do you what do you do with that? Like, how do you care for yourself emotionally as you're setting out to do this work and tell these stories, but you are also just exposed constantly to the reality of what's happening? I, I guess I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist, and that helps. I always uh, joke saying that if we can't put uh, people on the moon, uh, we should certainly be able to sort this one. Uh, uh, Beauty in nature helps a lot to to heal those those wounds, but most more than anything is I have a feeling that I'm trying to do something positive about it. I uh, it's like what do you do? What's the other option? You know, I, if you're if you're in the middle of a lake and you see the shore and it's pretty far away, what do you do? You sit on your butt and drown, or you're swimming? Well, I'm swimming the best I can, and hopefully we're reaching shore. Yeah, that's amazing. So I have a photography question for you. So. Photography is it's part art and it's part technical skill. So I'm wondering if you were talking to a young photographer, can you give examples of when having that technical proficiency with your camera has made a difference in capturing the shot and telling the story that you're trying to tell? Well, I guess I guess the proficiency what what it brings is is a speed of reaction. And uh, and that's really what's uh, more important. And also to have a certain amount of uh, of tasks that you do. And for example, if I shoot uh, something at night and I'm going to change uh, the ISO and how the camera is set up, I normally put it back to where I use it normally in daylight. Because if I wake up in the morning and something happens rapidly, I want the camera almost ready. You know, so you, you need to know your gear and you also need to to be lucky. I, I Last year I was uh, sailing towards Antarctica in February. And I got a very funny photo of a commerson dolphin, which dolphin, which is a, a not so easy to see species uh, jumping out of the water. And I was on a, on a Greenpeace ship sailing down there. And when I arrived on deck, the dolphins have been uh, jumping around. I was late, and I had my camera in my hand, and I pointed, and the dolphin jumped, and I got one frame because I kept pushing, and my camera was not uh, set in automatic firing; it was in one by one. So I only took one photo. But it was a perfect frame, <laughs> so you need to be wow. lucky. Too. So the camera was set properly, but uh, but not completely. No, so I, I I think it's very important to know your gear. But I always uh, uh, think that it's much more important to think about what you are photographing and what you put in that nice rectangle you have in front of your eyes. And unfortunately. We all think too much about gear and not so much about uh, about uh, we, we, what we photograph. And when I was talking about that photo of the pelicans that got that big award, I had a, a show here in Seattle at the aquarium years ago, 
And a very nice gentleman uh, was looking at the photo and said, wow, look at that photo. What camera do you use? Because my photos don't look like that. And I just was mean and I had to say, <laughs> I like to think there's something else apart from the camera. <laughs> so, yes, gear is important, but I think it's more important to spend time looking at what you photograph and what story you want to tell. Yeah, how does that work? I'm not a photographer at all. I'm a terrible, terrible photographer. So what's, what's happening in your head? You're seeing something. You want to capture it. You're wanting to tell the story. I mean, are you even able to articulate what's going on for you in your mind as you're figuring out the shot? In, not so much. And definitely in the air, definitely not. You know, I, I joke saying it goes from my eye to my finger without passing through my brain because it goes so quickly. I, I work a lot from uh, small airplanes, you know, and so we're, we're flying at over 100 uh, miles per hour normally. So definitely things go very fast. But I guess after having looked a lot uh, there, there's a composition that clicks very rapidly you know i have something that that uh, that i like and normally i know if i've done something good though i have to say i photograph a lot from the air and there's times that i see photos that i don't remember at all taking and they're and they're nice images wow so it's a mixture if i'm on the ground definitely i can i can think much more about it no? yeah no that makes a lot of sense now, am I right that you have been to all seven continents? Is that correct? I think so, yes. That is so cool. So tell me, is there a theme between them? Like, do you see something across all of them that connects them? And do you have a favorite? Well, unfortunately, I, I, uh, it's our impact. You know, I've, I've been, for example, lucky to end in a sub-Antarctic island where nobody lives. And when you step off the little dinghy onto the beach, the first thing you start seeing is uh, drift nets that are abandoned, a floating fridge or plastics everywhere. So the, the impact we're having, even in the places we don't inhabit, uh, is, is insane. So that will be the main uh, theme. Another theme, maybe not for all, because not all are inhabited, but uh, everybody in the planet wants to have a, a healthy environment and wants to provide a, a decent future for their kids. And so I think uh, that's uh, the main question, is how do we manage to all get together and, and sort the mess we're creating, no? And favorite for working, I'm really very drawn to... to uh, to South America, to, to Brazil, but, uh, but uh, I don't know, Africa is extremely important also what is happening there. But I, I, the Amazon, I've been going there for almost two decades, and, uh, and it's a project very dear to me. No? Mm. And is there one continent that you feel is most at risk? I don't know, Africa, maybe I, I could say the, the explosion of, uh, of population, you know, the growth uh, without, uh, without infrastructure or industry and, uh, you know, the... the the resources that are used mostly for the for the first world instead of providing wealth for the the inhabitants there no uh, africa is definitely uh, a big challenge yeah so what do you feel like we can do those of us that aren't photographers or aren't you know working in this field just the average listener who cares about conservation what do you think they can be doing to facilitate change vote <laughs> vote vote. For people, <laughs> vote for people that care about these problems push your politicians be active and i always think education is the most important part you know uh, education will will bring solutions people need to be aware and, and not only here but all around the world you know at the end of the day we are we are the privileged that live on a very high standard and unfortunately the 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 high standard that we get to enjoy is uh, broadcasted by the technology we have to the rest of the world. So everybody's aspiring to live like we do. 
So, so definitely voting is super important. So before we wrap up, I would love to know if you have a favorite project that you've worked on. If, if there's one that it doesn't have to be award-winning or it could be, but if there's one particular project that really touched your heart in a, in a positive way or in a way that you would say, that's, that was my best one or that was my favorite one. Oh, that's a, that's a, I always say it's the next one because it's the one that gets me more excited now. <laughs> but uh, but uh, probably, I mean, there's two things, you know, as I was saying, the Amazon is super important. I spend a lot of time there and there's so much to be done. But but uh, for me personally and uh, and for my career, also the impact that the that the spill project, the work I did in, in almost two months on the Gulf of Mexico was, was really very, very phenomenal. Amazing. So can you tell our listeners how they can see your work and follow you and support you? Well, if they want to see my work, Instagram is probably a great place. It's Daniel Beltra Photo and, uh, or my website, danielbeltra.com. And support, support me. I think what they need to support is, is uh, environmental uh, issues. And I was saying, you know, be more, more active, be more engaged. Uh, uh, Push your representatives and definitely vote for people that care about this problem that we all suffer. And it's a shame that we always make uh, uh, the environment, uh, uh, it becomes part of our, our partisan issue. And, and, and you're in one side or the other of the island, you care about it more or less. But we all, we're all on the same boat, which is this wonderful planet we live in and we need to take care of it. So what's next for you? What's the next project? I'll probably go back to to Brazil. That's uh, what I'm planning. But uh, there's uh, there's uh, at the end in September, at the end of the summer, I'm going to to Greenland uh, teaching a workshop, which I don't do that normally. But I'm teaching a, a workshop of photography in in Greenland, and Greenland is absolutely a, a, a stunning place to to visit. That is also uh, it's a bit the canary on the coal mine for for global warming. You no, know, Greenland is melting like crazy, but uh, the ice and the icebergs and the coastlines are are stunning. It's a it's a Beautiful place to, to visit. And also, it's very scary what's happening there. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And to see, I mean, so many of us will just never see it. And that's where your photography is so important. But, yeah, I can't imagine seeing it with your own eyes. Um, I'm, uh, that's one one thing I consider I'm extremely lucky is I, I am excited to do the work I do. And after all these years, I still enjoy it as much that, as the first day. You know? Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today and just sharing your art with us. And I hope that our listeners will check you out on Instagram and check out your website because really the photographs are, they're spectacular. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure here. Well, as always, I have a quote for you today, listeners. And this one comes from John Quincy Adams, who says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. So thank you to Daniel Beltra today for inspiring us to do more. Make sure you join us next week. And don't forget, we love those five-star ratings and those awesome reviews. They really do help us have a successful podcast so that we can inspire others to do more. Our show is produced by Eric Johnson, me, Kira Dorian, and Edge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.